If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to go with me to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 6. And the message is entitled, False Armor. Say that with me. False, False Armor. The text I'd like you to focus on is Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 11. And I'd like us to read this together. Now, because I only have 50 minutes left, I'm going to preach like a New Yorker. I want you to listen like a New Yorker. Is that okay? And if you miss anything, get the DVD and play it all over again. I'm going to come at you fast and furious and intense and solidly based on God's Word. Is that all right? Let's begin at the proper place. And the Bible says, Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wilds of the devil. The New York Times, January 7th, 2006, under an article entitled, The Pentagon Study Links Fatalities to Body Armor. I discovered that in this article, a false sense of security in battle was revealed. And just so I have not committed this to memory, I want to read the article so that you can get it exactly how it was written in the New York Times. It says as follows, A secret Pentagon study has found that as many as 80% of the Marines who have been killed in Iraq, from wounds to the upper body, could have survived if they had extra body armor. But get this part. Such armor has been available since 2003. It was available. This was written in 2006. But until recently, the Pentagon has largely declined to, supp to supply it to the troops, despite repeated calls from the field for additional protection, according to military officials. The vulnerability of the military's body armor has been known since the start of the war. In other words, they sent soldiers into the, into the field with, with substandard body armor knowing it since the war began, and repeatedly refusing to send body armor, even though they knew that their soldiers were in jeopardy. It says, the vulnerability of the military's body armor has been known since the start of the war, and is part of a series of problems that have surrounded the protection of American troops. And I repeat again the statistic, 80% of the fatalities that occurred in Iraq could have been avoided if the troops had been covered by the best armor. 80%. That's a lot of fatalities that we could have avoided. Amen? The armor was available, but the request for protection was denied. The weakness of the armor was known since the war began. Now, when I read that article, I immediately, with my preacher's mind, I saw that there was a spiritual parallel there. Ever since the war began on earth between good and evil... False armor has been given to those living on the earth. Weak body armor. And the reason why fatalities will increase in the end, the reason why there will be so many that are lost, as the Bible says in Revelation, as the sands of the seas, is because even Christians are settling for false armor. Armor that is not sufficient enough to protect us 
in this time of intensifying battle. I believe as we get closer to the end, the battle between light and darkness, between truth and error, between Christ and Satan, between good and evil, is going to intensify. Do you believe that? It's going to get worse. Thus, it behooves us that we have the best armor. That's why Ephesians says, put on the whole armor of God that we may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Oftentimes, we read the phrase by the Apostle Paul, the wiles of the devil, and fail to comprehend the deeper meaning. Paul is not talking about a wild devil, because Satan is very organized. Satan is very strategic. Satan is very patient. He waits for the proper time. He waits when his prey is least suspecting. He is not a wild devil, but a wily devil. He looks at us. He studies us. He has, I suggest to you today, a file on every one of our strengths and every one of our weaknesses. And he waits for the most opportune time to come at us with his temptations. He waits like the boxer in the ring when his opponent is at his weakest to hit him the hardest. I decided to study that word, the wiles of the devil, and in the dictionary, I discovered these words are synonymous to the word wiles. Trickery, a con, a hoax, a scam, a ploy, a stunt, deception, and subterfuge. In other words, things that really don't appear the way they really are coming at you from an angle that you are not suspecting of, conning you when you are completely unaware that you're falling for it. And then my mind took me back to that 1949 cartoon called The Road Runner. Anybody remember that? Yes. Wiley Coyote? I said, Wiley, that all of a sudden, you know, I'm admitting I'm a little older than some of the young folk that are around here. But... Um, I remember watching that cartoon. It came out in 1949. It was called Wild E. Coyote before they called it the Roadrunner. And it was put together by Looney Tunes. Anything put together by something called Looney Tunes, you should question whether or not to watch it. <laughs> Looney Tunes. But in each of the episodes, Wiley Coyote used elaborate plans, listen carefully, and complex devices to pursue his enemy, to pursue his prey. The intention was to get the roadrunner to fall into a trap that would result in his own destruction. I suggest to you today that Satan is using elaborate devices and complex contraptions. He's using elaborate plans. And his attempt is to try to trap us into falling into something that will result in our own destruction. Thus... It's important that we put on the whole armor of God. Peter said it well in 1 Peter 5 and verse 8. You can turn there with me, but I'm going to read it as you're turning. He said, be sober. Say that word together with me. Be sober. Be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, walketh about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Roaring lion. I learned something years ago from Elder Brooks. And I, every time I read that text, I, I fail not to represent that or to mention that. He said, in the jungles, the lion that roars is the male lion. The male lion roars, and you hear the roar in that direction. And then which direction do you run? In the opposite direction. And the female is there to collect the groceries. <laughs> she doesn't roar. He roars from the chest in such 
a, a, a body-shaking roar that you run as fast as you can and the female lion is waiting there with her basket to collect the groceries. That's why when you hear the roar of the lion, you've got to stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Don't always run. You've got to stand firm in the promises of Christ. Ellen White says in Great Controversy, page 593, this is an amazing quotation. She says, Satan employs every possible device to prevent men from obtaining a knowledge of the Bible, for its plain utterances reveal his deceptions. Why would he want us to study our Bibles if it reveals his deceptions? This is the best blueprint. This is the best battle plan that we have to fortify our minds with the protection we need against the wiles of the devil. She goes on to say, none but those who have fortified the mind with the truths of the Bible will stand through the last great conflict. You know why? Because they spend time not with the devices that have preventing them from obtaining a knowledge of the Bible, but they've spent their time with the Bible. Amen, somebody. Bible study, something that's kind of getting old. In a generation where they expect things to respond in a nanosecond, in a millisecond. We can click our devices, and I'm a gadgetarian, I always say that. But I still love something that has never lost its inspiration to me. I still love studying the Bible by turning its pages. Amen? I mean, you cannot find that in any device. I've got it on my iPad. I've got all the translations. I've got all the commentaries. I've got all the Ellen White's writings. But nothing replaces feeling the Bible. It's like sword fighting with an iPad. You can see the sword there, but as you swing on that iPad, it does, you know, paper tigers are just that, paper tigers. We need to be able to feel the armor. And by the way, do you know that in the, in the armor of God, the only piece of the weapon that is offensive is the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit. Everything else is for protection. If you don't know how to use your Bible, you have no weapon to fight against the enemy in times of battle. You will be defenseless. That's why Wednesday night Bible study is so vitally important. That's why every time the Word of God is studied, the people of God should be there. Regardless of who the presenter is, if we're looking at the Word of God as Jesus speaking to us directly, we will always find that there is a blessing available for us. Some people say, who's given the Bible study tonight? That should never be the question. Amen? Who's given the study tonight? No, it should be, are they reading from the Word of God? If they're studying God's Word and we are connected with God's Word, we will always find that God always has a message to communicate to us when we are studying His love letter to the people that He loves. In the final showdown between heaven and hell, it's on the horizon right now. The most intense battle to face this planet is now in its planning stages. And Satan is using subterfuge, scams, trickery, and deceptions. And he's aiming it at the Christian churches. And many Christians are becoming casualties because they're settling for false armor. Go to 1 Timothy with me. 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1. I'm going to outline five things in just a brief moment that you're going to remember. And I'm going to go through them quite rapidly. But they're going to be on the screen so you won't miss it. So get a pen and paper ready. I'm going to give you five points that indicate whether or not you are being affected by false armor. First Timothy 4 talks about the conditions of the last days. He says in verse 1, Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times 
Some will depart from the faith, giving heed to what kind of spirits? Seducing and deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Now just think about that for a moment. Doctrines of demons. To go even further, there are some churches that claim not to teach doctrines at all. And as you see on the screen, evidence number one that you are surrounded by false armor is this. The claim not to teach doctrine is false armor evidence number one. The claim not to teach doctrine. Do you know the word doctrine, what it means? It simply means teachings. Jesus repeatedly referred to the importance of doctrine. Some people have taken that word doctrine and made the word doctrine an entire doctrine itself. So they say, we don't teach that doctrine or we don't teach doctrine at all because doctrine is divisive. Doctrine is not divisive. Doctrine does not divide. It reveals. And so if a church claims not to teach doctrine, not to teach doctrine at all, that's a church that you should avoid. I remember one of our members that came, became a member here. I may have told this story. I've told so many stories, I can't keep up with the ones that I'm telling, but they're all true. Amen for that. And uh, he told the story about he was standing next to his pastor's Bible, and he saw his pastor's Bible highlighted with yellow all over, and he was so excited that his pastor was a very deep Bible student. And he said to his pastor, I noticed that you have your Bible very highlighted in yellow in so many different places. He says, have you studied all that? He said, oh no, when I went to seminary, those parts that are highlighted, I was told never to talk about. I won't tell you what denomination, I want to be respectful. And he and his wife showed up here on a Wednesday night, and he said, that's the reason why we're here. Amen, somebody? Amen. See, we teach doctrine, but we keep it centered on Christ. What do you say? Doctrine without Christ is nothing but, it's like, it's like truth without the spirit. As the Bible says, we must worship the, worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. Somebody once said, too much spirit, you blow up. Too much truth, you dry up. But when you put them both together, you grow up in spirit and in truth. But the Bible warns us how important it is to not accept false armor. Go with me to 1 Samuel chapter 17. I know you know where that is. Turn there very quickly. 1 Samuel 17, verse 38 and 39. Notice how the Bible talks about how important it is for us to have armor that we have tried ourselves. You know you can't win with somebody else's armor. I think you know where I'm going. Some of you are theologically so sound, you know exactly where I'm headed. If you haven't tested it for yourself, don't put it on and don't accept it. And it must be tested by the Word of God. 1 Samuel 17, verse 38 reads as follows. So Saul clothed David with his armor, and he put a bronze helmet on his head. That is, he put his bronze helmet on David's head. He also clothed him with a coat of mail. David fastened his sword to his armor. That is, he fastened Saul's sword and tried to walk, for he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these, for I have not tested them. So David did what, church? He took them off. If somebody tries to sell you something that has not been tested, take it off. Come on, say amen to that. Don't even put it on. That's what, notice the context here. 
Saul was trying to put his armor on David, and Paul says, put on the whole armor of God. You cannot put on your mother's armor. You can't put on the deacon's armor. You can't put on your husband or your wife's armor. You got to have your own armor. And that armor is furnished by nobody else than the best armor maker I've ever known, Jesus Christ. Put on the whole armor of God. We're told to test all things and hold fast to that which is good. And so today, when you go to different churches and different movements, I've discovered something very important. When somebody is afraid to test what he believes or she believes, that's evidence that the armor is false. When the Bible does not support what someone believes, it's also an evidence that the armor is false. You've got to have Bible support for what you believe. Amen? Nowadays, doctrines are coming from all different directions in all different schools, even schools of philosophy. In an article, and I don't want to give you the person's name because this person is a contemporary, but if you look up the article, it's called False Four Ways Christians Are Being Deceived. The article was first published in 1990 and then published again in 2010. And I found amazing the four points that were brought out by this writer in the four ways that Christians are being deceived. The first one he talked about was our second evidence, accepting the repackaged lie. Accepting the repackaged lie. Let me follow this very carefully and make it very clear to you. Accepting the repackaged lie. Let's go back to the very beginning. Did Satan tell Eve the truth or not? Huh? He lied to her. The Bible says he is the father of lies, and not only that, he is the author of confusion. So he lied to Eve in the very beginning. Get the context. Eve is a woman. The woman represents the church. He is lying to the church even still today. There is a particular practice that finds its home in many Christian circles. It's called neo-paganism. Say that with me. Neo-paganism. I know some of you had a really good lunch. But right now, you got to battle that lunch. Let the lunch be digested. Don't let you be digested. <laughs> I want you to catch what I'm saying. Neo-paganism. And what neo-paganism, because we use these big phrases and people go home and for weeks later, they're trying to figure out what neo-paganism is. Let me make it very clear. Neo-paganism, in short, is this. The claim to be spiritual while not being scriptural. The claim to be spiritual while not being scriptural. There are many people that claim they have high levels of spirituality, but the Bible says in the last days, the evidences of that happening to the world and to the churches is simply this, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. There are those individuals that say, well, man, my, my neighbor's real spiritual. You give people Bible studies and they say they're very spiritual. What always amazes me is how do people that are so spiritual not want to study the Bible? Have you noticed that? And people will say, well, uh, you show them what the Word of God says and then they'll say, well, I'm going to wait for the Holy Spirit to convince me of that. I'm going to wait for God to reveal it to me. Kind of like the guy on his roof and it's flooding and they send a helicopter and he says, I'm waiting for help. <laughs> you know the story. I think I did it backward. 
first it was a canoe and first it was somebody on the ground and a canoe and then the helicopter and he says I'm praying for God to deliver me all the evidences are very clear let me make it very clear if it's from the word of God it is it is imbued by the power and the direction of God's Holy Spirit if it's in the Bible it's there because all scripture is given by inspiration of God. So if somebody says to you, oh, uh, you know, I know what it says, I know what it teaches, but I'm waiting for the Holy Spirit. And then there's some people, and I'm always leery about phrases like this, and, and this is a part of the neo-paganistic terminologies nowadays. You know, the Spirit just told me. And that's supposed to override what the Bible teaches. And there are lots of people on television, oh, God just gave me a message for you. You better run north if they're hanging out in the south. Amen? Amen? Be careful because if it doesn't measure up to the word of God, it's nothing more than neo-paganism claiming to be spiritual, but not scriptural at all. And then the ideology of neo-paganism is this. Your beliefs and my beliefs, though different, result in the salvation of both of us. So some people say, I don't have to believe what you believe, but I'm saved too. And I'm asking myself the question, your driving directions are different than mine and we're both going the same place? And for people that don't think it's important to have the right directions, tell that to the pilot next time you take a flight. I just enjoy the flight. I don't really care where you're going. And they always say when the doors close, if your, next de if your final destination is not Seattle, this is a good time to get off. <laughs> you see, if you, if you don't care about your destination, then just go to the airport and hang out. But I do care about my destination. Anybody else? I want to get to heaven. I don't want to just hang out in Christianity and end up being lost. They also say in neo-paganistic neo circles, we serve the same God, all that matters is that we just love the Lord. And you say, if you love me, keep my commandments. Well, that's your interpretation. <laughs> and I ask myself, how many ways can you read that text? But the Lord knew this was coming, Isaiah 4 verse 1. And in that day, seven women shall take hold of one man. And you know, this is what they'll say. We will eat our own bread. We'll wear our own apparel. Only let us be called by your name, Christian label to take away our reproach. Our own bread, our own doctrines, our own apparel, our own righteousness, our own level of right. I'm right, you're right, I'm righteous, you're righteous, it doesn't really matter. That's why the people of God must remember that God has called us for a special purpose and a special time. I say this with respect to all Christians, but I must say this. If God has revealed to you a clear message and you choose not to communicate it, and you choose not to give the trumpet a certain sound, the people that should be warned are not warned and their blood is required at your hand. Isn't that right? So God has given this church a message and it's too late for us to think that we could preach the same message that every other church preaches and still be faithful to the call of God on our lives. Amen? That's very simple. There's a lot, lots of things we can share, but when you, when you preach the Word of God, you got to remember what they say when you stand in the court, because one day we are all going to stand before the judge. What do they say? Do you solemnly swear to tell what? Whole truth and nothing but the truth. That's the call that God has placed 
on this church. What do you say? And by the way, that call is placed on all Christians. Whether or not you accept that call determines where you end up. The whole truth and nothing but the truth. There's those that are claiming to be on another road. I, I like one of the programs I saw. I don't necessarily like it, but I like the response one of the viewers had when they watched a very famous person on television. I, don't, I won't tell you what her name is. But um, she once said to the audience, there are many ways to God. Neo-paganism. There are many ways to God. And a Christian lady stood up in the organization or in the, in the uh, audience, that is, and said, no, there are not many ways to God. There's only one way to God, and that's through Jesus. And then the, the, the talk show hostess said, well, how, do you, how can you say that when so many people are finding God different ways? And she said, I'm sorry, just because you say that that's not the way. Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And so in respect of all of the smorgasbord of Christianity, all of the different labels of religion in all of its innumerable forms, Jesus is still the only way to the Father. Evidence number three. Evidence number three. You'll know that you are covered in false armor by deception through blurred distinctions. Blurred distinctions. Wednesday night, Wednesday night, you know, we have a Bible study here live every Wednesday night, 7 o'clock Central Time on 3ABN. That's not an advertisement. 7 o'clock Central Time, 3ABN. <laughs> live Bible study. <laughs> now, it's called a sharper focus. This fits into my point right here. Why is it called a sharper focus? Because if a picture is out of focus, you cannot do anything with it once that picture is taken. You cannot focus a blurry picture no matter what tools you use on the internet. There are no tools that can focus a blurry picture. You got to make sure it's in focus before you take the shot. In the very same way, Christians are accepting teachings that are blurred at best. Listen to what this individual included in the article. Listen very carefully. He pointed out that the message and the priorities of the church are becoming indistinguishable from the world. He's saying, I can't tell whether that, whether that is being put on by the world or being put on by the church. I went to a Christian concert once, and it was sponsored by Budweiser. Now, who was putting on... This is, what I, this is what I was shot with, and this is way back in the 80s, before I was a pastor, so quiet down. <laughs> now, I asked myself the question, did this Christian group invite Bud Weiser to be at their concert, or did Bud Weiser put out the money to invite this Christian group to be there so they could sell? Isn't that an oxymoron? A Christian group, and all sponsored by Bud Weiser, Blurred distinctions. You cannot tell if the world is doing this or the church is doing this. I've got to go faster now because I've got more to cover. But the blurred distinction, listen carefully. It says New Age, occult and fiction books are being sold in Christian bookstores. Blurring the distinctions of truth and error. You can't really tell anymore. I went to a Christian bookstore one day and I saw an entire section in the Christian bookstore. And the big old broad sign above the top of it says, Fiction. And I went to the counter and I said, 
why do you sell fiction in a Christian bookstore? And they said, well, I just work here. <laughs> it's a good, good, you know, it's a good, good, good response. I just work here. And I thought to myself, since when was fiction acceptable in a Christian setting? And all the titles there, you know, all the many volumes of Left Behind, as Steve, as, um, Steve Wahlberg says, the truth is the only thing that was left behind. <laughs> See? Fiction. It goes on to say, these books teach that humans are evolving to godhood, that we must become mystics and use Eastern meditation, and they advocate a one-world government, but this is something else that really caught my attention. They also support the philosophy of the emerging church. Have you heard about that phrase before? The emerging church. I studied that and I thought to myself, that is amazing. The emerging church happens in the context of something that is not called a movement, but is called a conversation. In other words, the emerging church philosophy is this. You may be Baptist, Pentecostal, Presbyterian, Methodist, Lutheran, Anglican, Adventist. That's great. Let's drop all the labels, forget what you believe, and let's have a conversation and see what we can agree on. You know what, they, you know what the number one thing that they all agree on in the emerging church movement? Sorry, the emerging church conversation. They all agree that the institutional and the organized church must be disbanded. Amen. And they all agree that it's better to be community-centered than Christ-centered. So let's do what we can do for our community. Let's not preach things that are going to divide us. Let's get together in this ecumenical push to all be one, but not based on the Word of God. Let's develop one mind. As the Bible says in Revelation 17, they will have one mind and give their power to the beast. Then there's also spiritual formation. I love to do an entire week on that alone. Spiritual formation, praying and asking for the Spirit to do strange and unusual things, to bring a feeling to let you know that you are now in contact. You have actually crossed over into the spiritual experience. And then contemplative spirituality. All these methods are part of the things that are causing the church to have blurred distinctions. It's hard now to pick out the truth from the false. But here's the point I want to make. If you begin your examination by measuring everything against the Word of God, there'll never be a problem finding out what's true and what is false. If the Word of God is the guide. Amen, somebody? Amen. Let the Word of God be the measuring guide. Let the Word of God be the ruler. And there will be no blurred distinctions because when the, when the picture of God's Word was developed, it was clear from the very beginning. It's not blurred. It's clear. You also find spiritualism, the New Age, mysticism, occultism, and Eastern meditation are all a part of this now developing, emerging church environment. So we can have the gigachurch and the megachurch and the large movements doing all these things, and they do it all in the name of Christ. But you know what Jesus said in Matthew 7, verse 21? Not everybody that says unto me, Lord, Lord shall do what? Enter the kingdom of heaven. But only those who do the will of my Father, which is in heaven. Amen? Amen. Boy, that pizza must have been really heavy. <laughs> I'm just trying. That's a reset. The point of the matter is this. If the message is not clear, the enemy is not identifiable. Don't forget that. If the trumpet is not given the right sound, can you imagine playing taps 
during the time of a battle. Here it is. The enemy is, the enemy is coming and you're playing. Da, 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 da. If that's what you're playing, you're talking about your own death, not theirs. Am I telling the truth? The trumpet must give a certain sound. And as Paul says, if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare for battle? Evidence number four. Embracing the invitation of unequal yoking. This one was really interesting. Now you guys are going to get home and look at this all over again and say, I got it. But until then, let me read the text to you. 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 14. Go there quickly with me. Exercise is a good thing. Get your body moving. But the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 14, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness, and what communion has light with what? Darkness. In the article, this gentleman pointed out that Christian leaders and Christian organizations are more and more connecting themselves with unbiblical pagan groups and movements which set the followers up for synthesis, syncretism, and compromise of doctrine and priorities. Now, I just said a whole lot, and you didn't even catch it. But let's go to the first book of Samuel. First book of Samuel, you'll get the picture right here. Samuel, first Samuel chapter 28. You got to move fast. Come on, let's get... Uh, there we go. I hear the oil. I can hear the pages turning. This is a text you've read before, but I'm going to share with you in a different light. Because when we talk about being unequally yoked together, uniting ourselves with those that are in fact spiritists to accomplish spiritual designs, this is the most amazing passage. And my wife, I told her about this when I was doing the sermon. I had no intentions of using this text, but I knew the Lord inspired me because this text says it so well. Three points very carefully. Are you ready? Here we go. Verse 7 to 10. Then Saul said to his servants, Find me a woman who is a medium. When I read this, think about a church. The woman represents the church. Find me a woman who is a medium. That I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servant said to him, In fact, there is a woman who is a medium at Endor. Thus we had bewitched. Her mother was from Endor. Endora. So Saul disguised himself. What did he do, church? He did what? He disguised himself. He went to find a woman who's a medium. So he disguised himself, put on other clothes, all spiritually significant. And he went, and two men with him, and they came to the woman by night. That's what happens when you're going away from God. And he said, please conduct a seance for me and bring up for me the one I shall name to you. Then the woman said to him, look, you know what Saul has done how he has cut off the mediums and the spiritists from the land. Why then do you lay a snare for my life and cause me to cause me to die? And get this. And Saul swore to her by the Lord, saying, As the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. Now here are the three things he did that's prevalent in Christianity today. First, a man of God sought demonic aid. Now, that may sound hard, but how do you think Babylon is going to get to the place where it's the cage of every foul spirit 
an unclean and hated bird. How do you think we get to the place where Babylon has to be destroyed? Because it gets to the place where those who are a part of that institution are being affected by the institution. That's why the Lord is going to say, because he loves his people, he's going to say to them what? Come out of Come out of her, my people. And many churches today, well, let me just make the point before I go to the next level. First of all, a godly man sought demonic aid. Secondly, he hid his identity. In other words, his identity wasn't the same as it was before. He covered himself in different clothing. He cloaked himself in a different garb. And third thing, but most amazing to me, is he guaranteed God's support for demonic activity. He said, nothing, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. And nowadays, I did a series entitled Unclean Spirits. If you haven't seen that before, you should get a copy of it. It's the most amazing thing. It talks about the occult and the entertainment industry. It shows you how churches are incorporating in their very forms of worship things that should never be included in a place that is claiming to be led by God's Holy Spirit. Am I telling the truth? But the other thing is amazing like this text. They are saying that don't worry about it. There will be no punishment for us participating in this kind of activity. According to the text, that's what I got from it. Saul said to the woman, and the reality today is many churches are becoming nothing more than a medium for Satan to communicate a diabolical message. They use the Bible, but they exclude the key elements. And there are many preachers that are not interested in Bible integrity at all. I was sitting down having a Bible study with a pastor once, and he kept asking me questions, and I kept answering him from the Bible, and you know he broke, he said, would you stop telling me what the Bible says and just tell me what you believe? <laughs> I've told Brother Dick that story a number of times, and I said to him, I said, excuse me? I said, you know, in reality, my word has no weight. Isn't that right? But I'm concerned about what the Bible says. If the Bible says it, it's safe. But he was more interested in what my opinion was rather than the Bible. This is a very popular television show and I, every now and then I get a chance to peek it in. There's a whole panel of pastors and they get together and people ask questions and um, they try to, you know, they, they all answer from their opinions and I, I tried to get on that Bible program once. It was a different denomination and I was excited because I was invited to be on that Bible program and I said, oh great! Uh, be able to sit on a Bible panel and finally be able to answer questions from God's Word. And the person said, I'll get you on there. And I said, I'm looking forward to it. Well, I met somebody last week and I said, whatever happened to that invitation I got? And they said, well, they came up with some really strange excuse why they couldn't include you. <laughs> and I said, I'll tell you what the number one excuse is. I use the Bible and they don't. Come on, somebody, say Amen. And that's the problem with Christianity nowadays. There are lots of people that don't use the Bible. And the Lord says, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 13. That's what Satan does. They are, they are unequally yoking themselves together. But they use something else. And I'm going to spend a minute on this because I don't have a whole lot of minutes left. Because I've got to get to the last one. There's something called, do your own homework, it's called the Hegelian dialectics. Let's try to say that without chewing up your tongue. Are you ready? Here we go. 
Hegelian dialectics. Let me just tell you the story quickly. This is what Hegelian dialectics is. When someone observes a conflict in society, the tendency is to try to figure out which side is good and which side is bad. And then we jump on board the bandwagon of the good guys. Because of how a professing Christian reacts against the bad guys, they yoke themselves up with the good guys, not realizing that Satan is controlling both sides. That's the Hegelian concept. That's why, my brothers and sisters, let me appeal to you. We've got to get rid of this terminology in our church, conservative and liberal. I wish I had a big amen on that. Because every time election comes, the Adventist church gets split down the center. We become more enemies of each other than enemies of Satan. I'm telling the truth. I know that to be a fact. I steer clear of that in the pulpit. Keep politics out. We've got these terms, conservative and liberal, the Hegelian concept. It doesn't matter who's in the seat. There's one agenda. And it does not get lost. It doesn't matter who the Pope is. The aim of Rome is the same. It doesn't matter who the leadership is. There's an overall plan that never is off course. And so they use a phrase like thesis, antithesis, and synthesis. In other words, a thesis gives rise to a reaction. Somebody may say, let me use the example. Somebody may stand up and say, I believe in marriage. And all the Christians say, amen, praise the Lord. And then they bring up an antithesis. They say, but I also believe that everybody should have the right. And the people that don't believe in traditional marriage say, amen. And then they bring up a synthesis. And then they say, because I believe in marriage and because I believe in people having individual rights, I believe everybody should have the right to marry whomever they want to. Synthesis. Thesis, you agree. Antithesis, oh, contradicts what I said. And then synthesis, two opposing sides merge. How do you think gay marriages are, are happening in Christian churches? Marriage and gay opposing, how do they ever get synthesized? Because somebody cleverly, that's the Hegelian dialectics used by many theologians today. So be careful when people get you passionately connected to an issue. Check it out by God's word. Forget your passion. Let the passion come from God's word. What do you say? Amen. That's how people are passing things in laws because people get upset. I was listening to the news when I was coming back from Minnesota. Oh, number I can't remember when we went. But I was in the airport, and because of, because of the rising challenges of terrorism, the, the question was asked, how many Americans are willing to give up a certain level of freedom to guarantee safety from terrorism? I was shocked. 73% of Americans are willing to give up something of their Bill of Rights to guarantee to guarantee. How could you guarantee that you're free from a terrorist when you don't even know who they are? Don't give up your freedom. Freedom is bought and paid for. Don't give it up. Put your life in the hand of the Lord. What do you say? Amen. And I got to the last one. Don't abandon scriptural correctness for political correctness. Don't abandon Christ-centered gospel for social-centered gospel. Don't abandon godly living for good feeling. All that is the Hegelian concept. Let's do good things. Let's become politically correct. Let's support this agenda and that agenda. 
And then whenever they pick two men to go against head-to-head in the political circles, we all start fighting with each other. We ought to all hold on to Jesus and forget all the temporary leaders. Amen, somebody? Look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And then the fifth one. I praise the Lord I'm able to get to this. I had to edit my sermon down because I was held by the constraints of the clock. But the Lord says in the last days there will be a form of godliness. But here's the fifth one. And it's amazing. The fifth one is being influenced by following gurus. Oh, this is deep. Let me read it. Here's what he said. We are much more likely these days not to refer to our Bible for our convictions and our worldview, but instead to follow the opinions of leaders we look up to. In these days of Christian mass media, celebrity ministers are likely to draw our attention and our allegiance. Celebrity ministers. It is a dangerous thing to set up gurus within the body of Christ who are beyond criticism. Isn't that powerful? I don't want to mention the names, but you all see them. That's why I'm always fearful of allowing these, these leaders and preachers and teachers of different conflicting views to be standing where God's people should stand and preach where God's people should be preaching. Somebody, somebody say amen to that. And we say, well, you know, remember what happened in the Bible. The man of God, the prophet of God. Remember the story? It just The Bible just uses called the man of God, the prophet of God. God told him, now when you go, don't stop and talk to anybody. Don't eat with them. Don't go to their house. And he went and did God's bidding. and was on his way home and he met somebody who said, what? I'm a prophet also. And God told me to have you come over and have dinner with us. That very same phrase, we are admiring prophets in this realm of, of criticism and in that realm of theology, and people with doctorate degrees get together and just massage each other. And they, they worship the degree rather than exalt the Word of God. Come on, somebody, I'm telling it like it is. I don't care what your degree is. You can have a doctorate degree in a lie, you can have a doctorate degree in deception. I, I go not by the degree, but by a thus saith the Lord. Amen. That's where my safety is. And so I get together. Sometimes I get sick. Sometimes I get in some of these circles where everybody but me has a doctorate degree. And I'm thinking, doctor, doctor. I said, somebody give me a doctor. <laughs> I'm getting sick. Now, there's nothing wrong with those degrees. That's not what I'm saying. But when we are more concerned that the label of man has rather than what God's word says, the danger seeks to find a way in. And I got my degree from this university and that university. I don't have a doctorate. I have a BA. Born again. Is that okay? (laughs) Don't settle for publications without inspiration. If you are admiring any popular religious leader, politician, or talk show celebrity, celebrity that leads you away from following Christ and His Word, you are covered with false armor. We have a more sure word of prophecy. That we do well to take heed as a light that shineth in darkness. We've got the light. Let me say it another way. The light has us. We don't have the light. The light has us. Amen? Amen. We don't have the Bible. The Bible has us. And that's the day and age. Truly, the the Word of God will continue to be our guide. And, And the reason why this is so important to me, it's not possible to prepare for the final battle when your leader is orchestrating your destruction. 
That's deep. That made me even think about it. Watch out who you read. We like to quote folk. Quote the Bible. You know, Jesus didn't say, well, you know, elder so-and-so said. Jesus said, it is what? It's written. The devil will mess with you like he did that person who wanted to use the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. He said, now, Paul, I know. And Jesus, I know, but who are you? He only shakes. He only shivers at the commandment of God's word, a thus saith the Lord. I can't get that statistic out of my head. 80% of the fatalities that occurred in the war could have been avoided if the troops had better armor. And I suggest today, Christians, it's time for us to get better armor. My conclusion is this. My last slide is this. The best armor is this, my brothers and my sisters. Come on, say it with me. Put on the what? Whole armor of God. The battle is coming to us that already came to Jesus. And the best armor is the armor that he used. A thus saith the Lord. It is written. So here's my counsel. Don't just sing it. Live it. Amen? Don't just talk it. Walk it. Don't just wait for the coming of Jesus. Work for his coming. Don't just be a Seventh-day Adventist. Be an Adventist every day. Amen, somebody? Don't settle for being in the congregation, but be in Christ. And that will all happen when we have on the whole armor of God. Isn't that right? So I want to pray today. I try to end a little earlier today so I can pray. I want to pray today that in this world of so many authors coming at us from so many different directions, that we not forget this one statement that Jesus made, looking unto me, the author and the finisher of our faith. Father in heaven, we are in a world that's swirling with doctrinal controversy, and so much armor that is being put on in Christian churches and Christian movements is false armor. And the devil, the wily foe, is rubbing his hands as he anticipates the loss of so many who are unaware of his deceptions. And so, Heavenly Father, we pray for our church, our leaders, our people. We pray for them, Lord, to come to a knowledge and understanding of the truth of your word, that they not be pulled in, that we not be preachers that settle for popularity, but we settle for nothing short of faithfulness. We come not from the quotation of men that are frail and fragile. We come from the understanding of the Word of God that is the same as Jesus is, the foundation that never fails. So, Heavenly Father, give us wisdom and understanding to trust the Lord, to dedicate our lives to Him, to stand firmly on the foundation that You have built, and to live by nothing other than a plain, thus saith the Lord. This is our prayer. And this is our desire. In Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. My brother and my sisters, may God bless you. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www dot audioverse dot org